Rebecca Davis, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. What are you doing tomorrow? Working. Working, John. I take it you mean for Mandela Day. 67 minutes. To be honest, I thought it was today. So that's my first confession. Second of all, I honestly haven't given it any thought, but um, I was wondering if having to sit in Parliament would count as enough of sort of community service. Thoughts? <laughs> it's certainly not... It's not something that one would choose to do ordinarily. Quite. But it is part of the ambit of your professional duties, so I don't think it counts. If you... If you, you, if you have a professional duty that requires you to do social outreach normally, are you still expected to do Mandela Day stuff? Genuine question. Um, I, I don't know. Mm, I'm interested in that. I'm also interested in how nobody seems to be following the ANC's prescription that we have to clean. I mean, this is what the government has repeatedly said, that they want us to clean on Mandela Day, yet none of your callers and listeners seem to be planning a big cleaning offensive. My listeners are not known for heeding the edicts of the ANC, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I think it's probably a good idea because it struck me as... I I didn't realise for a start, is it a new thing that that the ANC has chosen to theme the day? Because I don't recall this happening in previous years, that they, they gave an instruction... I don't recall that either. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means it didn't impinge on my consciousness. Um, I'm, I'm going to a Peace Park food garden in Kailicha, and I'm going to dig and plant for 67 minutes and hope that the weather allows whatever it is I plant into the hole that I have dug to flourish in months to come. And I have, I'm, I ha- I have mixed feelings about it. I'm ambivalent because I, it's, it's not something, it's not a place that I'm going to visit again. It, mm. It's exactly what Wade was saying. Mm. I'm, I'm going to be doing that for 67 minutes tomorrow, and that's it. That is going to be my only involvement with that Peace Park food garden. Not to say that I don't think that food gardens in places like Kailicha are an extremely good idea. They are. Mm. But my personal predilection is towards education, and that's where I do the work that I do beyond the boundaries of my professional responsibilities. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I thought Wade's points were well put, that there's something about these incredibly short-term parachuting in privileged people to underprivileged communities for just over an hour, for goodness sake, to do something meaningful to assuage their consciences, basically, and then getting out of there. It just seems there's something about it that doesn't sit well to me with me. And the other thing but that... It, but, but you've got to get onto that ladder one rung at a time. And, and a lot of people are going to get onto that rung and they go, that's it, that, I'm, I'm done. For this, I've done my 67 mm. minutes for the year and a lot of people are going to have that attitude. A lot of people aren't going to do the 67 minutes. Let's not kid ourselves mm. that this is, a, this is a campaign which the majority of South Africans are following. In fact, I don't, but, but, but some that go, they will go, actually, that felt quite good and they'll climb up on the next ladder and, and, and maybe it'll stop at a monthly donation, a monthly uh, debit order which comes off their account into the bank account of wherever it is that they're doing their 67 minutes tomorrow. Maybe they get involved. Maybe they're an accountant they do the books of that you know so you've got to start somewhere yeah i think uh, i think that's plausible and th- optimistic but uh, possibly very valid john and i think that if you can't spend 67 minutes doing something then possibly a, a a donation to charity would be even even better in some ways give it give some money to people who do this stuff all the time who know what the real issues are and so forth but the other thing i was going to say that doesn't particularly sit well with me is what seems to be the increasing corporatization of the day in a way i mean something approaching father's day or or, or something like that whereby it really seems to be becoming uh, 
And I'm not saying this isn't a good thing because I think corporates should have um, a, a social conscience and should, should, should make contributions wherever they can. But there's something about it that seems to be more to do in some cases with enhancing a brand than to do with the actual spirit of the day in whatever vague form that was once intended. And it, I think it's picking up pace every year, that aspect of it. In fact, I know barely anyone who's doing something for Mandela Day that isn't related to what their work has planned. I don't know many people who are doing individual Mandela Day activities, which seem to be in a way more meaningful in a way, if you're not having it handed to you and, and organized. Uh, but, uh, yeah... If Acme Hardware says to its 28 members of staff, we are all going to the Oranjezicht, Cheryl Lezinski's Oranjezicht Food Garden tomorrow, and we are going to, each one of you, I want you to spend, or the company will provide, and you go out and buy something that you think you would like to plant. Is that a problem? It's not a problem. It's not a problem. It, it, it just seems to me that... that I mean, as someone in the media, for instance, at the moment, we're getting absolutely deluged with corporates wanting us to come and cover their individual mm. efforts for Mandela Day. And I understand why not let them get something out of it at the same time. But um, as I said, this is purely nitpicking on what the spirit very vaguely put in Mandela Day is supposed to be, which is some sort of, I assume, heartfelt engagement with the community rather than and, and a, a brand-enhancing exercise. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've no idea what what a good what a good sixty-seven minutes right. is versus what a slightly specious sixty-seven minutes right. is versus what's a completely reprehensible sixty-seven minutes. The the pensioner who saves up a bit of money and makes sixty-seven sandwiches and walks the streets of where that pensioner lives and hands over those 67 sandwiches to people who look hungry. Uh, is, is that more worthy than the corporate which devotes 100,000 rand and 20 employees to a corporatist event? I mean, clearly not in terms of outcome, John, yeah. Mm -hmm. But in terms of spirit. But, I mean, what is spirit? How do we quantify spirit? It's a, it's a tough one. And, look, it would be unbelievably churlish to, to quibble with any you know, any charitable events that are going on tomorrow, mm. I think all of it is wonderful. Just as you say, concerns about taking this forward, about long-term effects on communities and, and so forth. You've been incredibly busy this week, as have all the journalists who've spent time at Parliament, because for some as yet entirely, not entirely clear reason to me, um, the National Assembly has decided to telescope all its budget debates. debates. So, and how many departments, ministries do we have? I think there's 36 or just around 35. And in four days, they are having the debates of all 35 departments. I think it's actually stretching to next Thursday because I think Thursday is when the president gives the, the last one, which is the presidency budget. Okay. So, yeah, it's they have just as you say, telescoped everything into these short days. And it's a terrible idea, John. It's terrible for journalists, and it's, but it's much more terrible for the South African public because what they are doing here is actually very important. The government ministers are sitting down and telling the public their plans for the year, how public funds are going to be used. But they're doing so over such a short period of time that media organizations can't meaningfully engage with it. The reporting on it is inevitably not going to be in-depth, and there's going to be the public who are, who are shortchanged from this. I understand that there are practical reasons, but in years gone by, these budget debates have taken place over weeks literally. So any one of these one debates would have been a, a front page story any other, t any other year. But because apparently the elections has sort of stuffed up the parliamentary scheduling for the year, they've had to 
collapse them all into these few short days. But it certainly is, is, I mean, I would go as far as to say disastrous from the perspective of public information, public knowledge about what's going on in our government. Uh, Just to mention that the uh, um, uh, bank rate has gone up 25 basis points. That's the announcement from the Reserve Bank Governor, Jill Marcus. So, I mean, it's not only that the reporters don't have time, very few news organisations have the resources to send nine people there each to do one debate. You're scurrying from one to another and leaving one a little early because I I think all the important stuff's been said and arriving at the other one a little late and saying to a colleague, did I miss anything? That's the way it's going for the journalists. But also for the opposition politicians who are not being given the time to interrogate and put the usually the ministers who are who are doing the uh, the budget voting uh, speaking and they don't have time to properly interrogate and and be responded to no and uh, journalists also don't have a chance to put the questions that should be put to these go- the government ministers in press briefings because it's very hard sorry I don't mean this to turn into a pity party for journalists but it's very hard to be a specialist on every government department I mean offhand it's hard to find the time to do the necessary research to know what exactly you should be asking you know Lynn Brown about public enterprises and what you should be asking Natim Teto about arts and culture. So the difficult questions are probably not going to get asked and that's also a crying shame. As you say John, it's opposition parties will also definitely be the losers from this, not just as you say from their own preparations perspective but because the debates aren't getting covered properly. When resources are strained, you're obviously going to focus on what the ministers have to say, but a lot of the really interesting contributions get made in the debates where opposition parties give alternative ideas where they critique the ruling party's views and that's the stuff we're going to see very little coverage of this week. We did see coverage though of an ANC MP female MP complaining about the paving at Parliament because it leads to heels being broken. (laughs) It's good to know that some are concentrating on the important things, Rebecca. (laughs) I like that contribution, yes. It was Patricia Chue who said that um, patriarchy is everywhere and it is definitely evident in the buildings of Parliament because female parliamentarians are apparently constantly getting their heels caught in the paving and if we're going to be serious about women being in Parliament, which I would like to think we are, then we must start by replacing the floors. I would, I would suggest there are slightly more critical issues affecting women in South Africa, but, I mean, no doubt a, a, a valid point in some, some respects. So what are some of the important issues that you were encounter- that you encountered, that um, you covered over the last couple of days and perhaps this morning as well? Well, I think there's good news and bad news. Perhaps start with the bad and lead to the to the good. Um, I thought the news that, I mean, just how shambolically it seems Public Works has been administering its housing assets was, I mean, pretty staggering to me. The fact that it's been paying rent for 108 properties, 5 million rand a month. So that's, I don't know what, 70 million rand a year in rent for properties that had no one in them at the time. And they just didn't realize. I mean, how that even happens is beyond me. And the fact that there were 12 properties where non-governmental tenants were just inhabiting them and they were paying another million rand a month without knowing that. So, I mean, there's clearly there's clearly an issue within Public Works' auditing of its assets. And they claim now that they finally know how many properties the state owns and they're getting down to, to a proper audit of that. And thank goodness, since it seems to be the taxpayers who are footing the bill, these mysterious houses. But in, in relation to that, you, you believe that the minister has the most quotable quote of the week. 
He has this extraordinary metaphor about the Department of Public Works being a sick patient in hospital. And in 2012, the department was in ICU. In 2013, the patient had stopped bleeding. So note, John, the Public Works was bleeding for an entire year, which sounds extremely life-endangering to me. And now the patient is stabilized and is responding well to medication, but is still in hospital, John. So that is a serious medical condition, what that department has, which is not specified, I must say. Um, Another interesting point about public works, I thought it was interesting anyway, was this news that government properties were stolen during the transition to democracy, particularly in the around the Pretoria area in the former homelands, just because everything was so chaotic around that time and records weren't kept, that people simply kept hold of government properties and are still living there. And apparently many of them are very rich and have been illegally occupying these properties for 20 years. I mean, again, quite a stunning lack of... And if we can steal, there. what is it, 25 kilometers of railway line, we can steal a government building, no problem. <laughs> Apparently so. But they're coming for them. Operation Bring Back, which just really feels like it's missing a, an object or a subject or something. But Operation Bring Back is going to take those houses away from those people. So that's something. Um, the other thing which you, you were just dealing with in Eyewitness News now actually is the housing situation. And I was interested to hear Lindy Wistasulu say there that, that they're opening the debate about whether everyone who wants a free house should get one because that was clearly the direction she was headed in in her budget speech where she spoke out quite strongly actually about what she called the culture of entitlement when it comes to housing. It's really interesting I mean, that, to that, me. What, what did she say? You have 18-year-olds coming to mm. you and saying, "I, you must give me a house. She said she was astonished looking at the waiting list and seeing all these 18-year-olds expecting a house and she said there's a culture of entitlement there. It is interesting though because the provision of housing always seems to have been a real cornerstone of ANC policy. You know, there's something very fundamental about the dream of a house and for the ANC to be basically admitting that maybe we just can't do this, maybe we just have to dial this stuff back to me is, is interesting and kind of depressing. I mean, what she said is just that too many people are moving to South African cities and that seems like such an intractable problem on so many levels. How do you deal with that? There are just too many people coming into South African cities. I'm, I'm very pleased and I hope that the debate happens and I hope that people take the debate seriously and I hope against hope, I know it's not likely, that political considerations are to a large extent put aside because it's a conversation we need. We need to know what is practically feasible for us as a nation to give away for free. Mm. And then the very difficult conversation has to, the, the, the secondary conversation is the more difficult one, which is to persuade all those people who have this expectation, this culture of entitlement, if you want to call it that, that their needs are not going to be met by the state. That is a very difficult conversation. I'm not sure the government has the stomach for that. And certainly only a conversation they'd want to have directly on the heels of an election and not any time near an election, since housing promises are always one of the big election promises. I did think it was also very, very positive that Lindy Wissasula has admitted that the housing waiting list is not working. This week, for instance, we've seen Cape Town Mayor Patricia DeLille again harping on about the need to adhere to a housing waiting list, which civil society organizations say basically doesn't exist in the form that people understand it. There is not a magical document which is an ordered list of people. Oh, you were waiting from, for a house from 9th May 1994, so you are number one on the list in this community. It just doesn't exist. There are multiple lists in different communities. People have paid to get onto different lists because charlatans have claimed that they have the one housing list. Half their information is out of date. People move. It is a nightmare. And for politicians to keep on saying that people must 
respect the housing waiting list is really per- perpetuating this myth quite dangerously. So thank goodness Cecilia says they're now going to try and get their housing database information into gear, although she claims it'll happen within 100 days, which seems highly unlikely to me. Highly. And what else? Um, maybe some some good stuff, John. Um, great news. I thought that um, the Correctional Services is going to be increasing people's access to participate in parole board hearings via video conferencing. Obviously, if you're living in a rural village somewhere, you can't necessarily travel to one of the, the major centers to give your input on whether somebody who might have done horrific things to your family should get parole. And hopefully from November, you will be able to um, participate in that through through video conferencing. So I thought that was fantastic news. Um also, Angie Mocheka, the Basic Education Minister's suggestion that history should be a compulsory school subject. I'm uh, having a conversation about that with Dr. Manda Malodzi, who's a lecturer in the Department of Historical Studies at UCT just after four o'clock. But perhaps as a, as a parting comment from you, what, what worries me, I have no objection to history being taught. I think history should be learned as much as possible. I think it's very important to try and understand history. But the way that this is being framed, that the teaching of history will be part of nation building, that worries me deeply. What worries me more is the arts and culture rhetoric in that respect, which we heard the new minister, Nati Mtetwa, bang on about again this morning, including the promise that 34 million rand will be spent on supplying South African schools with flags, which in a country where <clears throat> many schools don't even have How toilets, 34 million on f- a flag for every South African school. And that to me seems immoral, really immoral. The South African... Uh, national anthem to be sung daily in schools and you know this is all part of Mtetwa's overarching belief that arts and culture should be nation building which I think is a deeply problematic idea No, it should be nation questioning Quite, it should be interrogating We can have exhibitions that foster nation building by allowing us to engage with all the diversity of our wonderful arts and culture but actually the belief that art should be nation building is a fascist one and I mean that literally We see it in Soviet states in the Nazi regime That is where this idea that art as nation building comes from. Thank you very much, Rebecca Davis. And do, at the end of the day, or early in the morning, go to dailymaverick.co.za because uh, this morning and last morning, Rebecca had wonderful summaries of some of the important and slightly more quirky things that had happened in Parliament the previous day.